You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. ABC Tonight. Special Agent Will Trent. Judge Bureau Investigation. I told him I'd bring my best. Will sees things that no one else does. Based on the New York Times bestselling series. But why Will Trent? He's good police and he's objectively hot. See crime. Put out an Amber Alert. There's a kidnapping. Through his eyes. He read that crime scene like it was a book. Ramon Rodriguez is. I'm a pretty observant guy. Will Trent. Series premiere tonight, tonight central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey, and welcome to Fan Theory Queries, where we analyze fan theories from all over the internet, but mostly Reddit. I'm Laura. I'm Michael. And I'm Spencer. Okay, so I am going to start us off with the animated classic Mulan. Oh, Did you such guys... a good one. It's so good, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like... Eh. I feel like it's underrated by a lot of people. I love it. Definitely, I agree. I'm, and I'll I'll tell the truth right now. I've never I've I haven't watched the live action one yet. I have. Okay, and, and did you like it? I honestly really loved it. I it's very different from the animated version. Mm-hmm. But you, if you go into it with the mindset of this isn't a shot for shot remake of the animated one, it's a fantastic movie. It's it's beautiful. The the visual effects are amazing. I think the story is great. The The changes that they did make to the story, I think I'm okay with. But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. That's awesome. So this theory, well, first off, real quick, I, I just have to say Mulan means a lot to me. I mean, because I loved the movie already. But then in high school, I mm-hmm. took AP World History, and my teacher was not cut out to teach AP World History. Um, he was that... What people think of when a coach teaches a subject of, Ah. like, you're not actually going to learn anything. And so he had us watch Mulan at one point. (laughs) And I was able to trick him every class when we came in and tell him we started further back than where he was setting us. When he would try to start up the movie again. So we watched it. Not you. I don't believe that. (laughs) Yeah. And I totally, I bombed that AP test, too. Anyway, so... Uh, sorry, mom and dad, uh, they're hearing that <laughs> confession now. So this theory is titled, Why Doesn't the Great Stone Dragon Wake Up? And this is by Sansa Spark. During the scene when Mulan decides to go to war instead of her father, she decides to do it while sitting on the foot of the Great Stone Dragon. The image of the dragon looking over Mulan is repeated several times throughout the sequence, and the bolts of lightning strike at significant times whenever the dragon is in sight. When Mulan takes her father's scroll and when she is praying to her ancestors, the great stone dragon can be seen. It's also engraved on the sword Mulan uses to cut her hair and the handles of the wardrobe containing the armor are in the shape of a dragon's head. The dragon's eyes glowing in the temple symbolizes Mulan's role as protector of her family, awakening instead of the actual dragon. The reason Mushu couldn't wake the dragon is because the dragon was no longer there. Mulan is implied to be the great dragon that protects her family, which Ooh. I included a link for you guys to watch that sequence because I had I didn't remember the eyes of the dragon glowing, but it's not yeah. the great stone dragon statue. It's those the tablets that are in their little shrine where they go to pray mm-hmm. to their ancestors there's a dragon engraved at the top of the main one and his yeah, eyes it, glow green and it's very quick and then grandma wakes up and knows that mulan is gone yeah 
in case anybody listening was wondering like wait a second i don't remember that hmm. that's I, I was there too and that's what mm-hmm. i found so yeah that's an that's one of the myriad explanations of why the great stone dragon didn't wake up i tell you if you just type that in why doesn't the great stone dragon wake up so many things come up on google <laughs> <laughs> a lot in fact the this where i found this theory was actually on the disney thread on reddit but somebody else had copy and pasted it to the fan theory thread i mean it's it's been posted everywhere people really want to know yeah so so spencer i mean you said you're not that big a fan of the movie but i mean did you get a chance to watch this clip what what are your thoughts it's it's kind of hard whenever i don't want to sound heartless but it's kind of hard to like this is the kind of theory that you really need to care about the movie and the characters for it to like really make a difference when you're thinking critically about the ver- veracity of the theory. So, I mean, basically what I would say is, okay, why not? Why? It, it could be. I, I don't, you know, I, I've seen the movie and it never really resonated with me. And so this particular scene, I didn't recall. And I don't recall there ever being an issue with a great stone dragon being woken up yeah because mushu goes over there and takes his little gong is like beating it on the head Mm -hmm. the statue and he ends up breaking (laughs) off the head of the statue and he holds it up and is and he goes and talks to the other ancestors and says i'm good morning i'm the great storm dragon and he like tries to pretend to be him Mm -hmm. (laughs) so was this were people thinking this was like a, a a plot hole or something i think it's just the fact that the it never gets answered. Why didn't yeah. Why didn't it work? So I think that's what has left people wondering. Well, what would end up happening with that? Because it doesn't wake up, but we never get an explanation at the end. Why of like, I was with you all along, or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Michael? So I, as I said before, I I did enjoy this movie, but I will have to admit that while I watched this movie. This is not something that I just sat there and just mulled over and couldn't go to sleep about, you know, every night because I needed the answer for this. I did think about it in the moment, but that's as far as I got. So I'm glad that somebody actually brought this up. And and thank you for providing the clip because it has been a few years since I've watched it. And it was a good refresher to see that scene again. And I, I honestly hadn't remembered that there were so many instances of dragons in each of those shots during that sequence until I watch the clip again. And why don't we put and the link so, to that clip in the show description in case anybody wants to watch it? Yeah, okay. for sure. That'd be great. Yeah, so it, it was a great reminder of that. And, and watching it with this question on my mind kind of allowed me to see it from a different perspective and really pay attention to those details. And I mean, it's it's pretty sound what, what, the, what OP is talking about, uh, all the points that they make. I noticed every single one of those things as I was watching this clip and... I mean, I kind of like the idea of that being the reason why the dragon never technically wakes up from the stone is because she's become the dragon. You know, right. I, I I really like a lot of Japanese culture and like the samurai and stuff like that. And I know this is Chinese, it's different, but even just any type of Asian culture, I I I really like the ideas behind them and and the symbolism and and things like that. And so for me it's really cool thinking about like she's imbued with this, the power of this dragon, the spirit of this dragon or whatever. And now she is the family's protector. 
and that just makes her even more powerful in in my mind which i already like loved her character because she was one of the first like representations of a strong female character in the disney movies that i remember you know and so it was this just kind of furthers that point and is like okay she's she's really powerful she can do a lot of stuff and she is extremely capable so all this just kind of added more clout to that added more depth and evidence to her being the like ultimate family protector so yeah mm-hmm. that's cool so um let me throw out some comments here that mm-hmm. take this off in a they go in different directions. It's kind of weird. So here okay, we go. I'm interested. This, this is from Bubonis. I think the awakening of the great stone dragon required some kind of ceremony or at least some formality. And Mushu was never big on formality and decided to assert himself by slapping around <laughs> the great stone dragon rather than performing the ceremony properly. I think that's something Mushu would be comfortable with. It would be something. It would be getting something over on the great stone dragon, like calling Mushu's horse Bessie. And referring to him as a cow. I don't. I think they meant to write Mulan's horse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mushu doesn't uh, have a horse? Mush, Mushu doesn't have a horse. <laughs> so basically what they're saying is there was not any kind of reverence, appropriate approach to the dragon for it to respect the, the request to awaken. Right. Okay. Right. Mushu just went over yeah. there and just like, come on, wake up. And was just banging the gong and wasn't, yeah being very ceremonial about it or i mean it's it's fair it's it's a fair point but Mm -hmm. for me it doesn't really change how i feel about the main theory yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so then dr dr phd (laughs) (laughs) said i took from it that mushu was the great stone dragon they state that after he failed to protect one of the family members he was demoted to a combination incense burner and gong playing alarm clock for the spirits of the ancestors Hold that thought. I have something about that first little bit. Okay. But they never said what position he was demoted from. I figured that his spirit was removed from the great stone dragon to the smaller dragon statue. And that because he was moved into a smaller statue, he lost some of his abilities, size, memories um, of his past life as the great stone dragon. He remembers that he failed to protect the family once before, but believes that the great stone dragon was a separate being from himself. This explains why the Great Stone Dragon wouldn't wake up and instead broke apart. The Great Stone Dragon was already awake, and that particular statue was an empty vessel. When the ancestors told Mushu to go wake up the Great Stone Dragon, they were giving him a chance at redemption. They knew that he would break the statue and take its place in helping Mulan. Hmm. Do you think Mushu is worthy of being the Great Stone Dragon? So, it's very, again... I agree with Mike. I'm with Michael on it's been years since I've seen this. However, reading that this particular scene came into my head and I can remember it so well of them waking up Mushu and telling him to go wake the great stone dragon. And he's saying, this isn't my job or who do you want me to protect and all this stuff? What do you want me to do? And yeah, he's talking. They And they tell him that of you failed a member of the family and there is an ancestor who was wearing armor kind of similar to Mulan's father's, he's holding his head in his hand because his head mm-hmm. has been cut off. And he goes, yeah, thanks for that. So <laughs> that that tells me the way they wrote that joke of, okay, then that's who he failed. When, yep. would, mm. Do you read yeah. it that way? Yeah, for sure. That's exactly what I thought whenever I saw them, whenever I watched the movie, you know. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a good point. 
Which is interesting because I was reading that a lot of people are like, well, I just assumed that it was Mushu. And and I thought, huh? Yeah. So I don't I don't get it. But that's what people yeah. think. And if you're one I, of those people, well, cool. Right. I, I agree. <laughs> I mean, there's another comment here. This one's interesting. Oh, okay. Well, all right. So then I'll read it. This is from flying underscore penguin. The great stone dragon is the oldest, wisest, and most powerful of all the spirits. He knew that not awakening would lead Mulan would lead to Mulan proving her power and independence and Mushu redeeming himself. Had he chosen to awaken and fulfill his role as guardian and protector, he would only maintain the status quo. He would use his awesome powers to protect Mulan from any danger and return her home safely, because that is what family guardians do, and any honor Mulan had might have happened to stumble her way into during her adventures would just be attributed to the great stone dragon's divine intervention rather than her own strength and cunning in order for mulan to truly reach her potential she had to demonstrate that she could actually do things on her own hmm. see i like that one too I, I, because that I means like that, that she, one. she is strong enough on her own she doesn't need any help mm -hmm. from a spirit so i and i like, I like the, both ways you know yeah i like the idea that if this great stone dragon is old and wise and he has this idea that Mulan is worthy of so much more, he's and he knows that she's capable of doing it, he's not going to step in it and help her along the way. And that further would help her. You know, he doesn't he knows she's not the kind of person that's gonna quit if she doesn't get the help from him. And that instead yeah. it's gonna do the opposite and, and push her to be even better. And so I I like that explanation more than the original theory. Yeah, I see that as kind of like in Empire Strikes Back whenever Yoda is training Luke and he Luke run, wants to run off to save his friends and Yoda knows that it's like Luke needs to do that in order to like really reach his full potential and understand things and he knows that it's going to hurt. He knows that it's it's going to take some work, but in the long run, that's the best thing for Luke to do. So, yeah, I, I think... Or, or even when, uh, you know, Obi-Wan lets himself get killed by Vader. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, in order for Luke to grow and, and become better, he has to get out of the way and let him do it on his yep. own. Exactly. You know, it's interesting. I'm hearing it as almost kind of like a placebo effect because I feel mm -hmm. fairly certain that when Mushu shows up for Mulan... Because she's already taken off and he finds her at the camp that he is basically telling her that he is there on behalf of the great stone dragon and the and the ancestors and he is the intermediary. So she mm. thinks she's getting that help. Yeah. And yeah. he's making it look like I'm giving you all this help. I I'm making this happen for you. I'm making that happen for you. And turns out it, it, like I said, it's a placebo effect of actually, you had it in you all along. Like Bugs' and... secret uh, water stuff in yep, Space, in Space Jam. Jam. Yep. Oh my That's gosh, exactly I forgot right. about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> water. See, I love, I love it whenever stories do things like that. Mm -hmm. It's to me that's more powerful than just like giving people the powers. It also kind of makes me think the Great Stone Dragon is feminist because I yeah. mean, in that culture and in that era mm -hmm. to be allowing a woman to do what she did 
I mean, this great snow dragon was like, nah, she's got this. And yeah. everybody would be like, no, she's a woman. And no, nah, she's got this. So, I mean, I, mean, and, I kind and of... It's, you can even, like, uh, dial it, not dial it down to, but compare it to just being a parent. Like, sometimes yeah. you can step in and help your kid do anything. But a lot of times, even though you really want to, you have to let them do certain things on their own to learn how to do it and become more exactly. responsible and grow up. As and so, painstaking as it might be. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's a yeah, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I agree. Very good. Well, I think that we're ready to rate this theory. But before we do, yeah. Michael, could you go over our rating scale? Of course. The highest rating that we have is genius. This is reserved for only the best theories, which we believe are better than the actual canon. The next step down is plausible. It's a good theory. It's believable. Unlikely is next. It's not a terrible theory, but pretty unlikely, as the name suggests. And then the last thing is preposterous. These are the theories that are just stupid. Basically, we're all dumber for having listened to them. I'm curious to hear. I mean, I don't know. There's nothing really groundbreaking too Mm -hmm. much in this theory. So the stakes aren't that high. So what do y'all think? I'll go first. I think that the original theory that you read about Mulan actually being the great dragon is unlikely. Maybe you want to say that she is representative of that or symbolic of the great dragon. Okay, but um, I just don't think that she has actually become the great dragon. And since we read that final comment about that person's interpretation of it, that's what I would consider genius. And so that's where I I stand on things. So you... What you're saying is that the genius theory is flying penguins, that the, the dragon was actually just letting Mulan find her success on her own? Yes. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I'm i actually going to uh, agree with Spencer on this one. For most of the time that we were discussing this, I was sitting at, at genius for the original theory until we read that last comment. <laughs> and then the last comment really kind of turned it around for me. And so... I'm going to give the original theory an unlikely as well. And mm-hmm. the comment gets a genius because I, I just love the idea of allowing her to just be self-empowered, you know? I, I think I agree with you guys on this one that, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, OP's theory, I mean, again, is the foundation for this. It, it's pretty cool as... yeah. And I think you could kind of marry the two together, both uh, Sansa Spark, our OP, and then our commenter, Flying Penguin, of it's showing Mulan as the protector of the family. Maybe not necessarily that she is taking the place of the Great Stone Dragon and the Great Stone Dragon is gone. She's got this covered piece out and leaving. So I I think they could go together that way. Yeah, And also you can see like the the symbol or the symbology or the visuals of the you know the cuts of images of the dragon throughout this montage are almost like the dragon like observing her and yeah as she's getting ready or whatever just flashes of i'm the great stone dragon and she's got this mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just kind right. of like a little bit of reassurance for her and us as the audience mm-hmm. yeah so i think if i take that piece of op's that uh that she's now becoming the protector of the family combined with flying penguin saying how the great stone dragon's there, but is just helping Mulan realize her full identity as, and her role in the family. 
I'll put those mm-hmm. together as a plausible. Cool. That's Great. fair. You know what's not fair and something that's hard? Having to choose your health insurance plan? Ooh, your head. Yes, and also editing podcasts and videos. But I want to tell everyone about something that has made the process much easier, and it's called Descript. You can upload your audio and or video files into Descript, and it transcribes everything into what is essentially a Word document. And the cool thing is, you can make cuts and edits to the audio and video timeline by simply editing the text document. Wow, you mean no more tediously inspecting the waveform visually to find stutters and stumbles and, uh... Uh, what? No, I mean, uh, as in, uh, and um, and, you Uh, know, verbal pauses. Yes, we use Descript to edit this show, and I am super happy with it. There are so many unique features to take advantage of, and it's not an expensive tool at all. There are three tiers, including one that costs $0, $12, and $24 per month. So would you say that we're getting our money's worth? Yes. So if you want to learn more, click on the link in the description of this episode or go to fantheoryqueries.com slash descript. Okay, I, you know what's funny is I actually just found this theory today. Little uh, peek behind the curtain. Originally planned on doing a theory that uh, we teased last episode where Sam I am from Green Eggs and Ham is the devil. But I decided to replace it with this one because it's more wholesome because we're talking about guns. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this is from the beloved movie jumanji the original which as i was reading this theory i just got a hankering to watch this again i've got to watch this again but this movie this theory is titled van pelt's gun by mr stephen richter hmm In Jumanji, the hunter Van Pelt comes out of the magical board game to hunt Alan Parrish in 1995. He runs out of ammo and goes into a gun store. The clerk tells him they stopped making the bullets he needs for his gun in 1903. Van Pelt then buys a huge modern gun. So Van Pelt must have brought the original gun with him from the jungle. So, logically, the jungle, Van Pelt, and his gun must have spawned via magic when the game board was created. But... The movie opens with a flashback to 1869, where two boys ride out into the middle of the woods to bury Jumanji. So Van Pelt's gun, a Winchester 1901 shotgun, was created in Jumanji 32 years before it was created in the real world? So it's like a really insignificant plot hole, I hear you ask. But to that I say, yeah, like nobody has noticed this except me. It's not even on IMDb trivia. It's really not worth time thinking about. But then I give it a second and blurt out, Time travel. Jumanji (laughs) has time travel powers as a side effect of its rules. The end of the movie is that Alan wins Jumanji, Van Pelt is sucked back into the game, and everything reverts back to the way it was 26 years ago when Alan started playing. Alan and Sarah, who are back to being kids, have trouble retaining memories of the first timeline, but it did still happen. So what if Van Pelt got the Winchester from the last game of Jumanji that was played? The game from 1869. The two boys, Benjamin and Caleb, started playing, grew up, and only managed to finish the game 32 years later. Van Pelt is released from the game somewhere in that time, because he's on the cover of the board, even if the obstacles are randomized, I assume he gets released once a game. At which point he acquires a gun in 1901 to up his murder game. Benjamin Mm. and Caleb (laughs) finally win Jumanji and return to 1869 as boys, bury the game, and Van Pelt gets sent back to the jungle with a shiny new Winchester, ready for the next hunt. Mm. So there you go. 
the one anachronistic element of an otherwise perpetually early British colonial African nightmare jungle now makes sense. Created a plot hole and fixed it all in one go. Good job, Mr. Steven Richter. So... So basically, the next time Van Pelt gets released, he's going to be able to murder everybody. Yes. Because he's got a shiny new modern automatic weapon. In theory. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's try to... I mean, this this could have been a little bit more concise, concisely written, but the mm-hmm. general idea that I'm trying to summarize is that in the first time it was played in the 1800s, these boys are playing. It takes them 32 years to finish the game. And at that time, Van Pelt is there. He gets a Winchester shotgun. They complete the game, but he gets sucked back into it. And they're back at two. When they started the game, they bury it. And then he comes out again later on. And so it's like a weird time saving time capsule traveling thing going on. Okay, so does does all of that, did y'all follow all of that? That all makes sense? Yeah, I think it's fairly straightforward i mean they, they had a lot of extra stuff in there that i don't think was necessary but the the overall gist of it is pretty straightforward i'm just having a difficult time with it because i'm bringing i'm i'm automatically because i've seen them more recently watch mm-hmm. thinking of the newer jumanji films yes so let's we can discuss those in a moment try as best as you can to block those out and base i'm your trying only off of this well, I do have an explanation for why there's differences in the new ones b- between the original, but okay. I'll save it for when we discuss that. All right, so so here, here's something that might help both of y'all, or all of us. Let's read some comments here. This first one is from Sonic Alligators, and this person says basically <laughs> what you said, Michael, and this might happen again next time the game is played, depending on how soon a new game has started. If someone started the game the day after the events of the movie, Van Pelt will now appear with a gun purchased 26 years in the future, because yeah. basically... If he's sucked back in with a machine gun and then someone picks up and plays the game after in this alternate timeline, Alan and Sarah don't play the game. Mm-hmm. Then he comes out with that gun that he acquired in that alternate timeline. So yeah, the, the gun he got chance. in 1995? Yes. Okay. I think I'm following. Okay. And, and so, like, I think that's th- that's the thing that should have been expanded on a little bit more in the theory is mm-hmm. the creation of multiple timelines um, rather than just simple time travel. So that is essentially what's going on there. Van Pelt. So basically, the game, everything inside the game in that colonial African nightmare jungle mm-hmm. is all, like, consistent. That's never changing. But when that all comes to life is jumping around through time and space, essentially. And so that's how it's all able to appear as if you are in the game, things may appear to be time travel-y, if that makes any sense. Okay, did I confuse you anymore? Uh, Me? No. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit, because I don't see anything about timeline. You're the only person who has mentioned a timeline. Okay, so so let's... The the way this happens is, and maybe this doesn't actually happen in the movie. So he's saying the end of the movie is that Alan wins Jumanji, Van Pelt is sucked back in the game, and everything reverts back to the way it was 26 years ago when Alan started playing. Did that happen in the movie? I don't remember. They go back yeah. to being children. However, the game is done. They played it. Mm-hmm. Okay, but they're kids again. So it's not like we're resetting again 
as we were about to start playing. Right. And so what they're saying is everything that's already happened with the stuff in the game is still consistent in the game itself. Mm-hmm. But now they're back to their timeline 26 years ago. They go on about their life doing something else. Let's say someone mm-hmm. else picks up the Jumanji game, open it, Van Pelt comes out, and now he's got a gun from 26 years in the future. Okay, I think I see what you're saying now. Yes. Okay. But if you don't want to think too hard about it, you can go with the comment uh, from that one splicer who says, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought Van Pelt was an antagonist created by the game using the fears of the player. In this case, Alan had serious issues with his father and was afraid of him, so the game created a physical representation of those fears. In fact, both Van Pelt and Alan's father are played by the same actor to further the connections. What I'm getting at here is I think Van Pelt ceased to exist as soon as the game was over, and him having a gun that should not exist is just the game creating a weapon for him out of Alan's imagination. Perhaps Alan just finished reading a book that involved Van Pelt's gun, and so, yeah, the game made it come to life. That is, that's a difficult one to use against this because we have nothing else. Well, in this movie, we have no way to disprove that. Like, we can't look at yeah. the game that was played in 1869 and verify if Van Pelt was a character then. Mm-hmm. I have to base it off of, like, it was mentioned in the actual theory with the cover of the game. Mm-hmm. It actually has Van Pelt on the cover, so... Mm-hmm. I'm I'm using that to assume that he's always a, a, a character that comes out. I'm going to have to say, though, if we do take into account the newer films, that is still the same game. Because we when we get sucked into that game, Alan Parrish was there. Right. So the game evolves. Yes. Physical, every bit of physical manifestation of that game evolves, including the cover. I don't think the first that we see of it back in 1869 i don't think it would have him on it i think that's just for alan's version of the game because remember when they find it in 1995 it's still alan's game alan is still playing and van pelt never shows up again in the other jumanjis for me personally when i watched the new ones i took it as the video game version the new version of jumanji was actually a video game that was based off of the original Jumanji because people knew about the original game and it was it was popular. Think think like if somebody made a video game based off of Monopoly, which they have. It's just the magic is connected to the actual name of the game Jumanji. And so whenever they made this video game version, it was different in that instead of bringing the jungle out to the real world, the players are sucked into the game. It's like it's Alan the reverse Hurts. of yeah, it's it's the reverse. And so I think the fact that they saw Alan or references to Alan in the newer ones, I always explain that in my mind as he eventually went back and tried to play the game again as an adult and in the process ended up get going in and I had this headcanon where he went in and found Van Pelt and hunted him down and took him out. And that's why Van Pelt isn't in the the video game version. And whoever actually made the video game version looked at the original game and referenced it. And I would like to think that it was created by somebody who actually played the original game and Mm -hmm. so knows about the experience and the magic and stuff. And and so they, they saw Alan stuck in this game. 
And so that's why they included him in the video game version. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That is something that I wonder what forever will be expanded on is the origin of these games. But do y'all... Yeah, I don't know. Do y'all... And here's something interesting, because no one's mentioned it. Do y'all mm -hmm. know who the antagonist was in Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle? His name is Russell Van Pelt. Of what? Yes. Oh, really? Russell Van Pelt. Wait, the first now, one? Yeah. He is an explorer. Um, uh, he's a leader of a group of mercenaries and an NPC tr mm. trying to track down the Jaguar's eye. However, this article that I'm reading about the plot and Van Pelt, there is absolutely no connection, no connective tissue to the original Van Pelt character. So they're not saying that this is like a descendant of that. But, so it's just a character they based off of the original one. Or it when they could be the, the same Van Pelt who has, who has evolved with the manifestation of the game to be more appealing to a modern audience. Yes. Just saying. Yeah, that's a possibility. I, in my own personal headcanon, I still don't want to go that route, but I can see where you're coming from with that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, and when, by the way, Bobby Cannavale... I mean, he was amazing in that role. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. It's so good. The he snakes. killed it, yeah. Oh, my gosh, oh. that was so cool. Yes, yes. <laughs> Man, that was awesome. Okay, so, so I think we've all said our piece. You want to rate it? I do, but I still am thinking about it. So I'm going to let y'all go first. Michael, you okay. go first. You sound pretty sure of what you're thinking. Okay, so before I rate, we're saying that basically Van Pelt's is whenever he goes back into the game, he has the modern version of the gun that he purchased, mm -hmm. and it's all involving time travel. That's that's basically what we're writing, correct? Yes, and so let me... I, I figured out a way to concisely re recap this. Okay. 1868, 1869 is where Van Pelt originates. That's where he starts. Yes. Okay? They go... They play the game for 32 years, and in 32 years, he comes out of the game, is able to buy this Winchester 1901 shotgun. They finish the game. He gets sucked back in, and they get time traveled back to 1869, where the the game is hidden. And fast forward to whatever time it is that Alan finds the game, he gets sucked in. 25 years later, however, in 1995, Alan comes out, and Van Pelt comes out with his gun that he got in 1901. And then he can't get ammo, so he gets a new modern gun. And then he gets sucked back into the game. And then they get finish the game, go back to when they started the game. They don't play the game, but somebody else picks up the game, and when Van Pelt comes out then, he's got an assault rifle from 1995. That's essentially okay. how this is happening. Gotcha. Okay, so with that, I am going to actually give this a plausible. I don't think it's... I'm not going to give it a genius because I don't think that I want this to replace the actual canon. I don't think this is actually the true canon behind it, if you were to ask the creators of this story, but... It's a good theory, and I like the idea behind it because it kind of fills in some blanks that were kind of left unanswered. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just going to give it a straight plausible. Okay. Laura? I, I agree with that. I think that that is the only possible explanation for why Van Pelt would have a gun from 1901 when he's been in the game since before then. He predated yeah. that the gun so i agree that's the best explanation for it so i'll say it's plausible i'm gonna say and i, and I hate to just throw them out there like popcorn at a melodrama but <laughs> uh, i think this is genius um after thinking huh? about okay. it and figuring out how to explain it concisely whether or not mm -hmm. you make sense of it the more i go over it i really like it and again this is all dependent on 
our assumption that he is a character that is perpetually present in the game regardless of who's playing it, just like a, a lion might be or the monkeys, you know, those aren't going yeah. to be created based on somebody's fears. And so I'm, I'm sure, I, I know that this character was, you know, developed more in that animated cartoon show that came out after the movie. I didn't mm -hmm. look at any of that to formulate any of this. I don't remember anything about it. But based on this and everything that we discussed, I think that this is genius. And I like to think that this is actually what happens in the actual universe of Jumanji. That's fair. Very good. Well, why don't we take a quick break from talking about how this guy is going to kill even more people with his 1995 <laughs> gun. We'll just go take a quick breather and then we'll come back and discuss whether or not we think Captain Hook killed Ariel's mother. More killing. Yeah. Monsters are as old as humanity itself. Monsters embody our fears. Yet, they help us define the boundaries of what it means to be human. We know most monsters aren't real. Yet, we can use monsters to learn about reality. Psychology, biology, folklore, literature, critical thinking. We're on a journey to learn about the world through the lens of monsters. And we hope you'll come along with us. Subscribe at monstertalk.org. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. Okay, Michael, so we've all been waiting on on Tinter Hooks for what you have to say uh, here. How about <laughs> peg legs? Whatever. They Take... both work. Oh, <laughs> funny, funnily enough, this is a connection. Robin Williams in uh, oh, yeah. Jumanji, Robin Williams in and Hook. Hook. Yeah. But this is not about Hook. Nope. This is, this is like a, a full circle kind of connection because you have a Disney thing leading into uh, Robin Williams and Jumanji mm -hmm. and leading into a uh, another Disney thing that has a connection to Robin Williams. Which will then Goodness. lead into a movie about Kevin Bacon, Footloose. <laughs> 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 All right, so this theory comes from Comic Book Resources website, and it has an unknown author. The theory, as Lara stated before, is that Captain Hook actually killed Ariel's mother. So... They say, when audiences first met Ariel back in 1989, she lived with one parent, her father, King Triton. Her mother, Athena, was mentioned briefly in the third movie, The Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning, 2008, and it was revealed that Athena was killed by pirates when Ariel was still very young. Additionally, in The Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning, Disney fans get a glimpse of Athena. 
It was noted by perceptive viewers that Athena bore a striking resemblance to the mermaid featured in Peter Pan from 1953. She shared the same face shape, hair color, and tail. These similarities feel too purposely placed to be coincidental. Therefore, the theory suggests it was Peter Pan's dastardly villain, Captain Hook, who was responsible for Athena's murder. In Peter Pan, during the scene where Peter and Wendy visit the Mermaid Lagoon, the red-headed mermaid that strongly resembles Athena from Ariel's beginning teases Wendy about trying to drown her. <laughs> I'm just gonna kill you. <laughs> Later, Captain Hook and Mr. Smee pass in their rowboat with Tiger Lily as their captive. The mermaids all scream, Hook, and flee one after the other. Evidently, Hook has a reputation for terrorizing mermaids. Obviously. Yes. So, in The Little Mermaid Ariel's Beginning, the scene that raised some suspicion is shown in a flashback between King Triton and Athena during their honeymoon. All is joyful and prosperous in Atlantica until a band of fiendish pirates crashes the party. Viewers see an imposing pirate ship approaching the lagoon where Triton and the merfolk are rejoicing. Triton leaps into action to protect his daughters and the merfolk flee, all except Athena. Another mermaid gets her tail trapped between two rocks. Athena comes to her rescue in time for the young mermaid to escape. However, the pirates, and presumably Hook, raid the lagoon for all its valuables, including a music box that Triton gifted to Athena. She tries to retrieve it, but the pirates attack, and Athena sadly dies, leaving Triton and Ariel behind. While Captain Hook is not explicitly seen, if the overarching theory is that all of the Disney films are connected in some way, it must mean that The Little Mermaid and Peter Pan are both set in the same universe. By that logic, there is no reason as to why the theory would be false. No reason absolutely whatsoever, <laughs> folks. This is fact That's right what here. they say. You heard it here. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's the theory. Laura, would you like to say some things first? Well, let's let's look here at the ship. We've got pictures of the ship. Yeah, so from what first of all, it's very difficult to find a picture of the Jolly Roger from like a good picture from the original Peter Pan cartoon. So I found the one from the the new Ariel's Beginning movie. And then the pirate ship from Hook's Jolly Roger from the movie, what's it called? Return to Neverland, which was in 2002. And so they're, they're different in color. And I think the more recent one, or actually it would have been before the Aerial Beginnings, it's got a reddish hue to it. I take that as kind of like being in a setting sun. But other than the color, they look very similar. Um, if you look at the actual features, the, the ships actually look very closely alike. You've got the thing that pokes out in the middle. They've got the same... At least from the picture, I can see the same. I'm so uh, impressed with your uh, with your ship. I know. Knowledge. They've got. The... For those of you wondering, he's referring to the prow. Okay, just <laughs> my prowess. Um, they've got the the sails in the same place. They've got the two little circles around the prow, the the holes for the ropes. They've got the the wooden thing underneath the prow, and then the line going across horizontally by the prow. See, I know the prow now. Um, they all, it looks very similar, at least feature-wise. Do you all agree with me? Yeah. So for me, the actual appear visual appearance in both of these doesn't matter as much because it could. The, if there's any difference in appearance, it could just be explained by the way the ship was remembered when the story is told. 
it's kind of like that game telephone where one person tells somebody uh, like a phrase or a sentence and then it's passed down the line of people tell- retelling it over and over again. And by the end, the details are generally pretty different from the original. So I see any any like physical differences uh, explained in that way. So I think it's I think it's very possible that it could be the same ship. What do you I think, mean, Laura? I think you could also explain it as pirates always stole ships anyway. Yeah, so, I mean, exactly. If, if it's a different ship, well, then that was just the different ship he was sailing at that particular point in time. That's true. Exactly. Uh, and what if what if whenever the events of Athena being killed uh, happens, Hook is still a relatively new pirate, so not a captain yet and kind of a lower ranking pirate well, this on would a take different place. ship. Wait, this, this is would take after, place Peter after Peter Pan. Oh, after Peter because Pan. Because okay. she's alive in Peter Pan. I see. I see. Okay. I was mixed up there. I got my movies it's, swapped it's easy in my mind to do. somehow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The older one from the 60s or whatever, 53, is the old one. Or is the, yeah, the old one. So yeah. I that's gotcha. when she's I'm, a teenager. I'm tracking now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, so I even don't... even still, like he, I mean, he's he's still captain, like you said, Laura. Like pirates steal ships all the time. And he could have upgraded the Jolly Roger many times, mm-hmm. or he could have had his ship stolen from him. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it could be the same ship. Was my argument. Yeah. Um, there, to me, the the ship doesn't change my opinion on this. You yeah, know? does it make like, or break it? Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, the thing that, that I'm going to get hung up on, and I haven't decided what it's, how it's going to determine my rating of this theory, is that you have to account for how Hook traveled back and forth between Neverland and our world since it's understood that area... And I'm reading a comment that I've already written. So if it sounds precise and uh, well-written, it's because I'm reading it, not speaking off the top of my head. <laughs> Um, in our world, since it's understood that Ariel's home exists in an animated version of our world, is Hook known to travel out of Neverland frequently? Well, even if he does, so would Athena. Yeah, but also... Oh, that's true. She would have to be in Neverland and our world. Mm-hmm. See, I I don't have as much of a problem with that detail because, mm-hmm. like, who's to say that Ariel's world isn't technically the same as Neverland, you know, like they could just be in a different section of the world. And that was where the paths crossed was when, when Athena was there. Could we not also say that in the aftermath of the film, Peter Pan, now that we've let a family of children come back to our world from Neverland, Mm. that things are a little less stringent. Now we can, okay, now we can pass back and forth. Yeah, once the that, door's open, it goes both ways. Right, because I know that when it comes to traveling back and forth between Neverland and here, that's something that's explored a lot in the Tinkerbell films, mm-hmm. that the fairies come from Neverland to our world and they change the seasons. Okay. That that That's the explanation of how that happens. And so they travel freely. Of course, they're fairies, but I mean, what's yeah. to say that after... You know, Wendy and the darlings talk to Peter and kind of convince him, hey, this isn't so bad for children to get to go back home to their families and grow up, that they can't do that easier now. You could do that with my. How would you account for a fish person flying through the air and staying alive? Is there any other way to get to Neverland? 
Well, I mean, there's magic. So, oh. I mean, I think that covers it all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My my thing, and in, in, I need you guys' help on this because, honestly, I haven't seen Peter Pan since I was a little kid. So, I don't remember all the details. But doesn't Hook die at the end? Isn't he no, eaten he by the croc? No, he just gets chased away by the crocodile. Okay. Okay. I just remember, I remember the croc, like, chomping on him. I couldn't remember if he actually got killed or not. So Okay. Never mind. Yeah. Then. He just is running across the water. And TikTok yes. Croc is chasing okay. after him. I and remember that's now. the last you see yeah. of him. He just disappears off into the horizon. And Smee, Smee is rowing as fast as he can in a yes. dinghy after him. I remember now. Thank you for the refresher because I, I honestly could not remember. No problem. Another thing you have to account for, and it may not, it's probably my, my guess is not going to be a deal breaker for y'all, mm-hmm. is that the events of Peter Pan took place in the 50s, whereas this Ariel's mother would have had to have been killed in like, I don't know how old Ariel is supposed to be, but you know, at late seventies. Um, so 25 you're, years No, later. you're thinking of the time when it was, when it was released. However, yeah. the setting of Peter Pan, like when the darlings are from, that is, what would you say? The 1900s, 19 teens. Oh, that's yeah. Right. If that maybe that's like right. late 1800s, it's, like almost Victorian. Mm, yes, it's that's very right. close. It might be Edwardian. Yeah. yeah. So that's even a bigger time gap. Uh, okay, let's I'll, let's do it. Okay. Disney Peter Pan time setting or time period. See, for while you're looking that up, for me personally, time stuff doesn't bother me as much. I've watched a lot of different shows and movies that deal with time travel and things like that like doctor who you know wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff (laughs) it doesn't bother me as much because there's a lot of unknown stuff when it comes to the theories of time travel and i feel like a lot of that stuff can be explained in one way or another especially when traveling between uh neverland and our world and even though and that's a good point even though little mermaid came out in 89 it doesn't mean the movie is set in 89. <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, this is interesting. So Peter Pan is in 1912. Little Mermaid, Ariel, would be the late 1800s. Hmm. In the mid to late 1800s. In fact, you know, there are some other fan theories. Maybe we'll cover it sometime. The ship that she goes and gets all the stuff from would be Anna and Elsa's parents' ship. because she's in denmark uh and that would be fairly close to the fjords so yeah so (laughs) so that's separate though what if what if when they travel between the worlds it's like a some type of time wormhole and when they come out the other side but when ariel's world comes out on the other side in neverland then it's a, a an earlier time or later time whichever it needs to be to make sense um Mid to late 1800s is is what I'm I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you have if if you want to make this work, you have to make you have to believe that there's some kind of time wormhole involved. Yeah, because Which, that's not, for that's me is easy. Yeah, that's not <laughs> like it's because these movies not because of when they came out. Like it's since they're being based on the source material and also just looking at the setting and the clothing and the technology mm-hmm. that is an accurate reflection of when these movies are set so in that yeah. case 
Little, uh, Little Mermaid takes place before Hook, which would make it impossible for Hook to kill Ariel's mother unless there is a time wormhole thing. Okay, so where do you want to rate it? I don't know. What do you want to rate it? I am going to give it an unlikely. I I think there's, I mean, she. the only similarities visually, okay, she's a redhead. I understand that there are a small percentage of redheads, but there are still more than one or two redheads in the world. What about redheaded mermaids? <laughs> How many of those do you know of? Well, then why don't we say the blonde mermaid <laughs> next to her is me? I mean, well, you're not a mermaid. Or was I? I might have gone through a wormhole and That's lost true. my mermaid tail. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> See, Michael's on board. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm saying unlikely. Okay, uh, I'm. I'm agreeing with you. I liked it at the beginning, and then our job is sometimes. Sometimes we put in more effort poking holes in theories than others. <laughs> this is one of them. And uh, when you really break it down, it's just, it's, it's unlikely. It, it's, I mean, it almost got me. So I don't think it's preposterous, but mm-hmm. it's, it's very unlikely in Same. my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So my job, I feel, is to rise against the skeptics, um, <laughs> because I'm going to give this a genius. I love it. I, the, no, the holes, the so-called <laughs> holes that you guys poked into this, I are not an issues for me. <laughs> I don't have problems with these things. I'm a big sucker for anything that involves time travel, so the time aspects of this doesn't bother me at all. I just like this idea. I like we've talked about this before, but I like when property, intellectual properties are connected in in these creative ways. And yeah. for me, this is just a fun thing to connect yeah. to Disney movies, you know. And it's it's kind of inconsequential for me. Because I, while these are enjoyable movies, they aren't like my two favorite Disney movies. I, if they were, I might be a little bit harsher on my rating with this. But these are just fun movies that I enjoyed watching. And yeah, I think this is a great idea. So I'm going to give them props. I give it a genius. Nice. Well, if it's all in the name of fun, I will allow it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, Laura? Spencer? Michael? guys it is that time where we bring this episode to a close but before we go i have to mention that um just today you know i was telling you that i found that jumanji theory um Mm -hmm. on reddit well right underneath it i saw another detail that was fascinating to me this is a real world detail um about not just like a fictionalized theory is this is a real thing that was shared by twigonometry theory (laughs) (laughs) sort of (laughs) <laughs> um, about oh, no. the movie 1917, which is a fantastic movie. I oh, love yes, that is. movie. Yeah. So this is going to blow so your mind. Good. All right. You will ne- so excited. Will have never have guessed this. 1917 is named 1917 because it is made up of exactly 1,917 3.7246 second periods. <laughs> if that's true, I pity the person that took the time to figure all of I mean, that out. I all bet you gotta you do is multiply. We did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> multiply three point seven two four six times nineteen seventeen. Well, all you have to do is take the total runtime and divide it by nineteen seventeen. Correct. I just this stop. is too much math for me. <laughs> okay. let's, let's wrap this up, guys. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, then you got it. This has been Fan Theory Queries. I'm Laura. I'm Michael. And I'm Spencer. 
Join us next time as we analyze more fan theories and ask queries such as, does Jim Carrey's character in The Truman Show go on to become the evil Dr. Robotnik in the Sonic movie? We'll discuss that and other intriguing theories on next week's episode.